Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival. Presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Up next, Luna Talks with Anna Paulina Luna, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. Last weekend, a sea of people gathered at the Sarasota Fairgrounds here in Florida, baking for hours in 100-degree heat, and then the sky opened up. Some people had no umbrellas or rain gear, but they didn't care because they were there for Donald Trump. Love him or hate him, Trump is still a dominant force who is shaping the political landscape of 2024. Bottom line, he's not going anywhere, and it's time to accept that. This is Luna Talks with Anna Paulina. Welcome back to Luna Talks with Anna Paulina. I'm Anna Paulina Luna, and today we're talking politics again. (laughs) On a recent episode, I spoke about the new Republican Party and what it entails. What is the new GOP? We know that it's a party that is largely tuning into the grassroots activism. We know that we've all been censored and that we all know that tech and media is working against us. But guess what? We're still winning. And I feel like although the DNC has a machine, that we have the talent because I'm not seeing really any political rock stars that get me excited out of the DNC. And that makes a difference, especially when you're playing to change hearts and minds. And that's just me being honestly objective. But who is currently leading out our fight for this new GOP? Well, you have congressmen like Congressman Byron Donalds, a very prominent black conservative here in Florida. You have Madison Cawthorn, who's one of the youngest congressmen ever elected. You have women like Lauren Boebert, who are leading out the fight for the Second Amendment. And then two other very well-known Florida congressmen, Congressman Mike Waltz and Greg Stubbe, both of which are veterans. There are the new blood that is needed in Washington, D.C., and they're not at all swampy, which is, again, I think that by this point in time, you guys realize that it's pretty bad up there with corruption And people really, I think, sacrificing their moral codes in order to pass deals. And that's just not how Washington, D.C. should be run. But what we're also finding, and this is new for the GOP, is that it's now increasingly the party of blue-collar Americans, which is the best, right? That is your base. That is where I come from. That is the people's party, essentially. Many of your average donations from some of these candidates that are able to nationally fundraise, which is something that I think the GOP has not really been able to do previously, 
you know, you're getting average donations of around $20, which means that we are winning that game. You had candidates like AOC, candidates like Bernie Sanders that were able to take advantage of this national fundraising effort. And that's something that the GOP has gotten better at over the last couple of years, especially with these new candidates being able to develop these national profiles for fundraising. But, you know, there were these speculations early on, especially after the 2020 election cycle. I remember many people thought that Trump and this whole idea of America first and Trumpism was over. There was a ton of speculation that the GOP was over. I'm pretty sure that the leftist media ran with that for a hot minute. And I'm pretty sure that I also heard Biden make some mentions of that. But we know that that's false. There was also speculation that President Trump would start a new party. I know people were talking about the Patriot Party. That was specifically a bad idea because what happens is, is in national politics, if you were to fracture that, fracture the funding, instead of changing the party from within, you basically end up fighting yourselves. And then ultimately what ends up happening is the left wins, the far left progressives that have essentially infiltrated and taken over the DNC. So you can't fight a war on two fronts, divide your forces and resources, and no one wins. And then there was speculation that Trump was going to go quietly into the night and not care anymore about politics. And that was my favorite perspective because it couldn't have been more wrong. And I remember telling people and having so many of these conversations saying, I do not believe that President Trump is going anywhere. I do believe that he is going to be essentially the kingmaker in congressional politics, Senate politics, national politics for, for many years to come. And do not do not doubt what Trump is capable of. In fact, I think right now he's been so quiet because he's been planning. So we saw the Sarasota Trump rally this past weekend. And yes, I was there. I remember driving up and you had lines wrapping around the fairgrounds for, I want to say probably, I mean, at least three quarters of a mile. Many of these people had been sleeping there the night before. I would estimate when I first got there, there there was at least 20,000 people. But there are people going out there the night prior, and yes, that means they camped out. Then, I mean, if it wasn't already hot enough, it was about 100 degrees, baking literally for hours in the sun, only to have it turn around a few hours later and literally monsoon on everyone. Many people didn't have umbrellas or rain gear, but what was really unique, and I haven't seen something like this since probably a concert, is that people did not care. They were excited to be there. They are excited to be around other people that feel the same way that they do, feel oppressed, know what's happening with big tech, know what's happening with this election. They wanted to be there because for them, it signifies hope and not just hope for them as people with their political ideologies, but hope for the country, which I find that among conservatives, especially and among among Trump Republicans, there is a strong sense of loving this country and wanting to do right by it. And that means if they have to, showing up, hearing what they can do, how can they get involved? I mean, true grassroots activism, which is something that I appreciate and love seeing on a regular basis. So they continue to wait. And I have never, again, seen this type of loyalty to any, I think, elected official in my lifetime. You had people that started dancing in the rain. They were just happy to be there. And this rally and the others proceeding are definitely something that I think is shaping the political landscape for 2024. It's not uncommon now to see Trump DeSantis 2024 flags, not just in Florida, but across the country. I have friends in upstate New York that are talking about seeing this. Anytime that I talk to anyone when I'm traveling, they ask me where I'm from. I say Florida. The first mention that they have is of DeSantis. 
and how amazing he's doing. And this doesn't matter if I'm in California or in Arizona or Washington State, wherever I'm traveling to, people are making these comments. For me, being on social media, I'm seeing the exact same thing, that grassroots activism, whether it's digital or in person, showing that people are actually excited and are looking forward to this next election cycle. And although 2024 might seem like it's years away in political life and in political time, it's actually not that far off at all um, or far away at all. Rather, what I found in D.C. is that it's a constant game of 40 chess and it's a speeding train pushing forward at 400 miles an hour to the point of you realize that you have to stay active, stay involved, because if you hop off that train, you can very quickly be left in the dust. But people are always planning their next moves years in advance. And we are already hearing about the internal sabotage happening of Kamala Harris as the vice president with some of these quote-unquote leaks coming out of her VP office, talking about the toxic and abusive environment her staffers are subject to, only to see that I think it was Pete Buttigieg was the political reason for the leak or that he somehow had a connection to that, meaning that even Democrats have to watch out for the next person eyeing the most coveted position in Washington, D.C., which is essentially the Oval Office. And I'm telling you, America, Kamala Harris couldn't really even pull at 1% with her likability and her national vote for the Democrat ticket. So I don't think that she's going to be a front runner for 2024. That's for sure. Now, will they want to install her? Maybe. Maybe she might get some support, but I just don't see her. Again, I'm not seeing that political rock star mentality or secret sauce it takes to get elected to office. She doesn't have it. So what's really happening in the Oval Office? I think that, you know, Trump was never expected to win the 2016 election cycle. Definitely not the White House. And aside from the four years of negative press that we saw, I wanted to actually get some perspective of what the White House was actually like under Trump. Right after this short break, we will be back with Cameron Bailey Kinsey. She's a reporter on One American News. She's absolutely amazing. I was able to actually meet with her and meet her in person a few years back when she first started out. Not only is she now currently their White House correspondents for OAN, but she is also a former staffer for President Trump. And right after this short break, we're going to give you the insight, the actual boots on the ground insider tell all on what it was like to be in President Trump's White House. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. The stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. A couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival. Presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean. Keith Urban. Jelly Roll. Old Dominion. Lady A. Riley Green. Ashley McBride. Brothers Osborne. Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. Cameron, thank you so much for coming on to Luna Talks. I know that you had some incredible experiences working as a staffer at the Trump White House. 
Um, if you can real quickly though, I know you're extremely young. Tell us a little bit about yourself and how you got into politics. Really, when Trump was running for president, uh, that was the first time that I was actually old enough to understand a presidential election to become informed. I was a high school student at the time, um, and I was also an athlete full-time, and well, actually working full-time at my job. Um, I worked in a gym, and I was just seeing how I was disagreeing with everything on social media, mainstream. That's when the Colin Kaepernick thing was uh, coming out, and I was an athlete about to cheer uh, in college at a D1 school. So I just saw that I wasn't resonating with any of these athletes. I wasn't resonating with any of these people who weren't standing for the flag or showing patriotism for our country. And Donald Trump was somebody who, as a high school student, I could resonate with. He was a real person. He wasn't a politician. He didn't try to be somebody that he wasn't. And I love that. Authenticity was key for this presidential election. And so that's really what got me involved with politics. Uh, I had a friend at the time in high school, too, who was uh, a very, very uh, big Democrat as well. And I didn't agree with any of the policies that uh, she was resonating with. And so uh, that kind of led me towards uh, the, the politics route. Now, uh, what's something very interesting that people may not know about me is that my stepdad adopted me uh, when I was in college. And seeing him, he's a small business owner in Kentucky, and seeing how these Democrat policies affected his small businesses in a negative way kind of fiscally got me more involved with politics f from a fiscal point and understanding is what I mean. Uh, growing up, I was uh, going to a Christian school. So uh, my beliefs and my values portrayed were more aligned with the Republican Party. And so that's just kind of what shifted my perspective. And uh, growing up, that's what got me involved with politics. But my job at the White House came out of nowhere. <laughs> well, I, like, I love that you got involved so early. Like I can tell you when I was your age, I wasn't really tracking politics. And it does definitely, I think, bring back kind of a faith in humanity perspective when you see young women, especially that are realizing like, look, if you get involved in politics today, you're going to be targeted, you're going to be smeared, but it's like, you're so brave for even just moving forward and pursuing that. And I feel like in general, we need to have a lot more women like you, a lot more youth of the, of the nation getting involved so that people can realize, Hey, this country is worth saving and look at what Cameron's doing. And I think that you're a great role model for that. So I guess kind of segueing, how did you get hired at the white house? Cause I I feel like that's not something that you can really find on like DuckDuckGo, right? Like how do you get hired at White House? <laughs> Honestly, Anna, it was through the grace of God. And I tell everybody that. But here's what I can tell you, Anna. Donald Trump took a chance on younger people to implement policy and get a perspective that was unique in the United States government. And that's what made this administration so accomplished. It's what made it so authentic, so genuine. It's because you had these people from different complexes and abstracts of life, and you bring them together to get such a great understanding for policy because it's from all different sides, some different sides of the aisle as well. And so, and so that's what I loved about the White House. And with the White House, it was, uh, I, I think in 2000, yeah, it was 2020, I uh, was, it was the height of COVID when I had my interview at the White House. And I remember I was sitting in my bedroom in Kentucky with my mother at the time going through my emails, and it was just a shock. I uh, had somebody reach out from the White House, and I had become 
pretty involved in politics at this point. I had started Students for Trump on my campus uh, right after I quit cheer. I uh, started Turning Point USA on a D1 campus. I was a Turning Point USA ambassador. Um, I had done local Fox uh, News in in Texas, I believe. So I was kind of getting out there, uh, just surfacing the political sphere, I guess you would say, and just becoming involved as much as I could. And uh, with the White House, it was it was really just a gift from God. I can't explain how I deserved getting in the White House. It was pretty much just perseverance and, and, and learning and understanding that this was truly a gift and a blessing in my life. And I needed to take that like really wholeheartedly that uh, our Lord and Savior just just uh, gave that to me uh, to, you know, start my journey in politics. Well, I think it was really interesting. I was able to kind of track your journey on social media, and it gives this real, I think, real person perspective of you're a human being, you're there, you're a patriot, you're trying to serve your country, and then you're able to kind of share those intimate moments, I think, at the White House of what happened behind the scenes that you really didn't see on like C-SPAN or Politico or any of those other websites. So I appreciated that. I think that it's incredible, and you do take it seriously in setting the example. Now, I know that there was a ton, and obviously you got hired at a point in time during the White House where I feel like the media was so negative. I mean, it was negative for the last four years, but especially with COVID, it was almost like violently negative. I know that we heard so much negative press stories about the White House, but then I saw your perspective and I saw what was actually happening behind the scenes. I just want to give the listeners kind of some insight and perspective. What was it actually like working for President Trump for someone who's a young woman? Um, What was it like on your day-to-day basis being there? I'm so glad you asked this, Anna. It was incredible. It, it honestly, every single time I walked into the White House, I, I felt like I was in a movie. I felt like it was surreal. And, and God giving me that chance, it was just a blessing in my life. But here's the real story. It's and, and I tell people this from a perspective as when I was sitting at home in Kentucky watching Fox News versus CNN News, CNN News and uh, looking at Twitter and seeing all the different uh, controversies. But when you step into the White House, Everything was normal. <laughs> Everything. It was it was just everybody was so kind-hearted. Everybody loved to be there. Everybody had a passion and and wanted to save this country and bring patriotism back to our democracy. And so seeing the different news sources just trying to divide our country, divide our citizens, divide the administration. The administration was very very close-knit. The people in there loved their jobs with a passion. They wanted to save this country. They wanted to stand for our Constitution. They wanted to better the lives of every single American citizen, no matter what class, ethnic group. And it was so refreshing to see. And then you would go. I would go home and I would see the media take sound bites from Kaylee McEnany's clips or take sound bites from, from Trump going on uh, Air Force One. And it was completely different than what the statements, the wholehearted statements that these people would say on the tarmac um, or in the press briefing room. Were, it was so differently differently portrayed, Anna, and it was actually so disheartening that the media was just out to get President Donald Trump. And I don't mean that lightheartedly. They were out to get him. It was not um, a sense of, you know, uh, well, well, we don't really agree with their policies. No, they hated him. They hated him. And it was a completely different atmosphere, though, than what the media would try to portray. And that's what I, that's, if any, 
person is watching this or listening in, that's where I want to get at. People in the administration love their job. I loved my job. It was a blessing from God himself. And, and uh, really just the, the atmosphere, the, the things that we did on a day-to-day basis, and I won't get into the nitty and gritty of it, but at the end of the day, we were close-knit. We loved this country wholeheartedly. We loved our jobs, and we loved President Donald Trump. I love hearing that. Um, I also remember, I mean, did you ever feel that you were targeted when you were working at the White House? I know that especially in the city of Washington or in Washington, D.C. as a whole, that it is super political at all times, 24-7. I know at that point in time, there were BLM riots. I think I remember seeing, you know, you had like some footage from your apartment and there was BLM literally burning down the city. I mean, what is that like? Because you obviously have to walk from, you know, the White House to your apartment. You don't really have security. Was that scary at all for you? Let me tell you, it was a very big culture shock from coming to Kentucky where everybody's like, hun and love and and so sweet and genuine to just seeing like the divisiveness and, and just this force of of terrorism and looting and violence and riots come forth in my city where I was living. And not only was it disheartening, but uh, yeah, I, I was targeted. When we would walk into the White House, uh, I have two friends that worked in my office, the presidential personnel office with me. I remember that we were standing walking uh, into the Secret Service room where they would clear us. And there were protesters standing outside uh, just saying horrible things at us, uh, flicking us off. Uh, saying, you know, just just awful, mean, mean things. I don't even want to like guard my attention to. But yes, it, it was definitely something that you would have to put up with. I mean, we had that. Those are things you have to brush off. We're fighting for freedoms of this country. We're fight, fighting for the president of the United States and we're fighting for the future of our democracy. And so if you were going to work in the Trump White House, you couldn't let that stuff get to you. And we were the most targeted. And I think we were also the people that had the biggest skin um, within our American democracy being uh, the most uh, the most brave, the most patriotic and the most powerful administration that was to ever walk the halls of the of the White House. Yeah, I definitely think that, you know, if that were to happen today, especially in the Biden administration, you would see just, you know, the mainstream media would say that there was nothing but harassment from conservatives. But the fact that you guys had to deal with that on a regular basis and no one even really reports on it, right? Like that's outward harassment and intimidation so that you can't do your job. And you're a young woman, which is completely hypocritical to what you really hear the whole platform of the left typically being saying that, you know, you need to empower women and shatter those glass ceilings. Here you try are trying to do that and they're harassing you. Um, well, I want to get to your perspective on BLM, the DNC, and Trump in 2024 right after this short break. So everyone stick around. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green. 
Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes. All hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th. Stream only on Hulu. Starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific. So I'm sure you hear all the time, Cameron, especially being a reporter, but you know, you yourself have been to rallies to cover them over the last, I think, couple of years. What do you think about President Trump running in 2024? And do you think that he will? I, I hope that he does. I, I loved working in his administration. I, I loved safeguarding our constitution and the in the democracy and the things that we put forth as a nation and as an administration for the people of this country was astonishing. And and like I noted, the Abraham Accords, the fighting for middle class, fighting for low income families, fighting for small business owners. I mean, we need more of that these days because COVID hit them so hard. Um, and, you know, taking into perspective people who have agriculture jobs, people who are in uh these hardworking class families standing up and fighting for them and acknowledging them, that was so important. And so I do want somebody who's going to show that leadership in 2024, someone, if not President Trump, someone like President Donald Trump, like Ron DeSantis, has done a great job in the state of Florida. I would say with me, it comes to either Ron DeSantis, President Donald Trump. I hope I would be completely happy if either of them ran. In general, when you look at what happened with COVID, we were really able to, I think, have somewhat of a normal um, life, whereas the rest of the country was locking down. And DeSantis really, I think, set the standard of how to respond to that. So I'm right there with you. Now, you know, you see these massive crowds of like 20 to 30,000 people. The media never likes to talk about that, right? Because it shows that the president, I think, has forward momentum. But we're also seeing a lot of buyer's remorse from, I think, people that thought that they were doing the right thing by voting for Biden, which we know is obviously completely false. But do you think that, you know, even just these last couple of months that Biden has been in office, do you think that we're going to see a huge surge from within the black community, from within the Hispanic community, and then from a lot of people that realize that maybe Biden's not the solution? Yeah, I, I really do hope so. And what's made me so um, incredibly impressed is that we are seeing more African-Americans step up to the plate and running for office. They're running for Congress. They're running for their local state uh, House Senate seats. And, and they're pushing forward and they're controlling the narrative themselves. They're saying, hey, I am not a person that can't speak for myself. I can speak for myself. I can think for myself. And I'm going to stand for the actual values that I believe that Black Americans stand for, um, as well as other minority groups. And so I think that's so empowering. I think it's so astonishing. And that gives me hope for this country that people are waking up. It's these people running for these seats. It's these people getting involved, door knocking. Uh, going on these school boards and talking about how critical race theory is, is detrimental to our society. It's these people that are coming up to the plate. And I've seen more videos than none, Anna. I've seen, mil like, we're not millions, but thousands and hundreds of videos. <laughs> I was about to say mil millions and billions. No, I've seen thousands of videos <laughs> surface my Instagram. I'm like, oh my gosh, these power or these parents are getting empowered. These these everyday citizens, small business owners, people who have worked the same job for their entire life are getting empowered to run for office and represent the everyday American. I mean, and, and I and I love that. I, I love that. It gives me hope for this country. And, you know, when I covered the uh, Trump rally in Ohio, uh, where Jim Jordan spoke and, and, 
and Trump was endorsing Max Miller, there there were minority groups there. There were people that showed out, no matter what skin color you are, if you're a patriot of this country, we love you. <laughs> the MAGA movement loves you. Yeah, love and, and so we will welcome you with open arms. And so I, I'm very, very excited uh, for 2024. I think the voter turnout will be bigger just because of what we've seen with people uh, voting for Joe Biden and and like you said, having that remorse and buyer's remorse. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. And, and seeing how election fraud may have contributed uh, to this uh, election in a detrimental way. I think people are going to uh, turn out and uh, show up to the polls instead of uh, putting in absentee and mail ballots. Well, from your mouth to God's ears, I hope that that <laughs> happens because I think that there are a lot of people that are realizing, you know, It's a little bit harder to feed my family and a little bit harder to put gas in the tank under this current administration, not to mention there's a lot of weird stuff happening. So we'd like to get back to normal. (laughs) So my final question for you is, and I know you work in media and right now media has a very, very low trust rate. Granted, your news sourcing, I think, is actually one of the more trusted news sources among conservatives. But as a whole, according to Forbes, for the first time in the annual trust barometer from Eldman's report, which was shared with Axios, it revealed that fewer than half of Americans acknowledge any kind of trust in the mainstream media. 56% of Americans, for example, said that they agreed with the following statement. Journalists and reporters are purposely trying to mislead people by saying things that are false and grossly exaggerated. And then in another polling, it went to show that 59% of Americans agree with the statement, most news organizations are most concerned with supporting their ideology or political position as opposed to informing the public. So with someone who has your job, which you are an extremely responsible reporter, right? But I feel like these other reporters make it more complicated and harder for you to actually do your job. I mean, what is a solution? What is a way that people can, I think, navigate through that false information that they're being bombarded with on a regular basis? And what do you see as, I guess, a solution for this problem? So I think with me, it's just general life advice. You know, focus on what you can control rather than what you can't control. And, and being in the White House, I had a unique perspective of the media. I, I saw them as vicious. I saw them as cruel. I saw them as misleading to the American public, uh, none of which what they said about President Trump or our administration was true in regards to, um, you know, just different malicious things that they would put out on the web. But it when I was getting out of the White House, I saw it as a chance of let me let me shift the perspective of the media. I was an insider now on the outside rather than an outsider on the inside. And so I was like, well, maybe I can give the perspective of uh, the wholehearted truth rather than just these sound bites, just maliciously attacking these people and just bringing the news, bringing the facts bringing in the research that you've done for hours and hours to make sure that you're informing the American people of a correct topic, something that is uh, meaningful and reliable. Um, And and so that's what really kind of shaped and formulated my perspective of being a journalist. It's that, you know, I lost faith in the media when I was working in the White House. And even before I was working in the White House, I just saw a lot of hypocrisy in the media. And so when I got out of the White House, I thought it would just be a a unique opportunity to kind of just shift the perspective. And so that's what I'm just trying to do. It's just providing the facts, being a reliable source, having, you know, the arguments laid out and portraying it in a way that, you know, relays the truth 
But that truth can relay your values as well. And so that's what you see with Fox. That's what you see with CNN. And so what I really wanted to conglomerate with this job and being a reporter is in just first and foremost, informing the American people and showing them the truth. And rather that's from a Republican or Democrat perspective, I think journalists need to do that no matter what. It's, it doesn't matter if you're Democrat or Republican. It's just relaying the truth to the American people and letting them decide for themselves where they want to stand. I love that. You know, instead of you complaining about it, you took action to actually fix the problem. And I think that that type of personality and mentality is needed way more today, especially with, I think, the fight that we have ahead. So I just want to thank you so much thank for you. joining my show today. You're welcome back anytime. And where can people find you and watch your show? Yeah, absolutely. So they can find us on uh, Cloud TV, um, also Direct TV. You can just go to OANN. And uh, I also post my clips on social media at Cameron Bailey. Thank you so much for joining us, and we hope to have you back soon. Thank you. Before we go, I just want to thank all of you guys so much for listening. If you enjoyed today's show, please leave us a review and rate us with five stars on Apple Podcasts. You can also find me on Twitter, Parlor, Getter, Facebook, and Instagram at Real Anna Paulina. And a special thank you to our producer, Drew Steele, writer Aaron Kliegman, and executive producers Debbie Myers and speaker Newt Gingrich, part of the Gingrich 360 Network. I'm Jack Armstrong. He's Joe Getty. We're the Armstrong and Getty Show. We cover the stories the mainstream media ignores. Stories that are important to your life and important to the world. The election, of course. The many trials of Donald Trump. Couple of wars. Gender-bending madness. Why are kids looking at so much social media? And we bring you the stories the mainstream media is on. But we do it without the left-wing media spin. Listen to Armstrong and Getty On Demand on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Open your free iHeart app and search the Armstrong and Getty Show to start listening. The biggest stars in country music will be taking the stage at our 2024 iHeart Country Festival, presented by Capital One. Jason Aldean, Keith Urban, Jelly Roll, Old Dominion, Lady A, Riley Green, Ashley McBride, Brothers Osborne, Walker Hayes, all hosted by Bobby Bones at Austin's Moody Center. Saturday, May 4th, stream only on Hulu, starting at 8 p.m. Eastern, 5 Pacific.